Hi BFFs, it's Elle here and welcome back to the Best Fit Body Podcast. I'm with my co-host Jules. Hi everybody, I'm really excited to be here on our 16th episode of podcasting. Yeah, pretty exciting. We we have reached the sweet 16. The sweet 16, yeah. I saw your joke. You said that earlier. I was like... That's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, 16, it, it definitely is a number for some reason in a lot of our minds that it is sort of this threshold, you know, no longer babies, no longer, you know, little children. We're moving into the teenage years. The so. teen years. Yeah. We're becoming our po- our baby podcast is I always call our podcast and our team and everything our baby. So we're growing into a teenager. <laughs> yeah. So watch out. Lots of trouble ahead. <laughs> so let me find out from you, because I know I've had a lot of reflection on um, this past week. And how are you feeling after this weekend of big competition? Oh, I feel as though I competed myself. That's how much energy and excitement it just kind of pulls out of me like it sucks it out of me like in a good way so it always feels after we have a bunch of competitors do really well we get some pro cards we get a lot of first places we have a lot of new competitors experiencing you know top five placements and everything it feels it's probably one of the best feelings so although I'm exhausted I am I'm definitely recovering now but yesterday I was in this fog of craziness what about you Well, you know, I always feel that at a competition, when I arrive there with the competitors, I always feel that, you know, our work is done as we, you know, walk in the doors to get up there and and compete because we are well prepared. And then to me, the work starts all over again because new goals are set. And even if you got your pro card or, or even if you didn't quite achieve the things that you hoped for, that you were prepping for on that stage, it lights a fire in everybody. So for me, it just, it, it just kind of keeps me going. And so, you know, I've been spending the past 48 hours uh, following up with all of our competitors and helping them, you know, sort of process what happened on the stage, but also planning ahead. So I guess I'm very ignited. I always say sleep will come later. No, I get plenty of sleep, but there are days where we just keep going. So I'm still energized and and full of the adrenaline. I feel more energized today than I did yesterday for sure. So maybe that was thanking sleep for that. And (laughs) that's that's probably the best thing. So You you also celebrated more after the show than I did. I think I just went home and went to sleep. We we went out and had some pizza and a couple drinks. And then Sunday was like a blob day where I can't remember if I even worked out. I'm like, oh, I had a I had a rough day of competing yesterday, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> yes, well, so, there, there is a lot of uh, a lot of excitement. So yeah, yeah. So I took to Instagram and I asked you guys what what you guys wanted to hear about and uh, see about whatever not not see at all hear about on the podcast this week. And I kind of asked if you guys wanted to hear competition related or lifestyle related. And a lot of you guys said lifestyle related. It was like a 60-40 kind of split. And so we figured that we would actually just do the second part of a Q&A that we started a while back. You guys asked over 100 questions. 
And in our previous Q&A podcast, I believe we only got 10 questions through the whole hour. And so we're going to do another probably 10. We'll see what how much we get through in this kind of hour period of time. So we're just going to kind of go through and answer some more questions that you guys were wondering. And it'll be a little bit of a mix between competition and lifestyle and fitness and whatnot. And the episode that just came out before this one is all about kind of advice from a mother. And so if you haven't checked that episode out yet, have a listen to it after this one. You can listen to the Q&A or you can listen to that one first. That would be episode 15. And that one, Jules and I just talked a little bit back and forth about what kind of great things to know from a mom and kind of her perspective in the fitness industry, but also just kind of growing up with social pressures and pressures from family. And I feel like every young woman or even man, if you're trying to understand your woman a little bit better, <laughs> should have a listen to it. So that one was really good. But yeah, today we're going to dive in with some great questions. A little bit of everything. So do you yeah. have one you want to lead off with here? I don't because I have to find it again. So do I you have know. one to start? Uh, gosh, you know, I, I, I've been scrolling through the list and there were a, a ton of them. So I am going to, you know what, I, I think that we've had a lot of questions and talking about clean eating and calorie balance. And I thought that this question that somebody had asked kind of hits on this. It's a little bit more of a, a sort of a, bro, a broad thing. And stop me if we covered this one before, but it's Amber Jenkins asked or or commented on the difference between healthy foods in quotations based on nutrition versus aesthetics, foods high in healthy carbs, fats. And a lot of times people get confused about contradicting information if they're trying to lose weight or maintain a very low body fat. I think we did cover this. Did we cover this one? Okay. Yeah. See, um, okay. I yeah. should, we should have crossed them off our list because yeah, I, I know like, it's kind of hard. So it, we go a little bit out of order. Let's talk about eating out. So Lele Del Rey said, "How to order off a menu anywhere and making modifications, but not obsessing too much." For example, Coach Jules and UL, while eating out on the rare occasions you do, the plates of food always seem to look great and don't seem to be too much off track. AKA many times protein and veggies. Is the answer to keep it simple? Does it drive waiters nuts to change things up? Does it matter? Did we talk about this? I don't think so. I feel I like I've we, talked about stuff like this so many times well, that I'm I like, think we have <laughs> talked about, you know, probably variations on a lot of these questions, but I am always very happy to talk about eating out because eating out is a, a passion of mine. Anytime I don't have to cook a meal, I'm very happy. It's a passion of mine. Elle's dad and I enjoy some travel. And we even took a big trip this past winter where we were driving for five days in one direction and five days in another direction. And we ate all our meals out. So I do think that the person who asked this question, I don't have the name in front of me, but you ask it in a very, very well, because I think it brings up some very specific things that bother people more than just how to do it. So I think I'd like to answer this on sort of how it can be perceived and, and why often people don't, quote unquote, bother to order food the way they want it. And I think the biggest thing is they're afraid to offend other people. They're afraid to offend the waiter or wait staff. They're afraid to offend their eating partner, but 
ultimately, you're the one that's sitting there in that chair at that eating establishment asking for food that you're going to pay for. So why should anybody else care? You're eating that meal. You're not making anybody else eat the meal. If it's what you want and you have goals and you want to be able to have the two and feel comfortable, happy with it all, you have the absolute right to ask for what you want, just as if you have the right to order something that you say you wanted, you know, a lasagna with extra cheese. Okay. Well, what if you don't want that? What if you want to have a grilled fish without the sauce on it? What is the difference? I was going to say the same exact thing. I was just thinking when you were talking, I'm like, no one bats an eye when someone gets an extra side, like no one cares. And so if you're saying you don't want the oil or the extra butter on it. It's like, what's the problem? What's and, the problem? That's yeah, right. but it's true. A lot of people feel like, well, I don't want to bother the waiter or I don't want to, you know, the people around me to feel uncomfortable. It's not your job to determine or to make someone else feel comfortable. Like you're not, it's not your place to be like, okay, well, if this bothers you, I'm going to make sure it doesn't bother you, but because you're not hurting anybody. And so the truth is, is that she, she does ask it in a, in a great way. And she asks if the answer is to keep it simple when eating out. If you are in a, trying to be in a calorie controlled type of situation with your intake, ordering simple is the best. You can always estimate, but some people like to overestimate and that's fine. But for the majority of the people, they wildly underestimate the amount of calories that are in something. So if you are trying to be very, quote unquote, strict or most aware of what you are eating, keeping it simple is great. But I just know that a lot of people will be like, oh yeah, that must have been 300 calories. When in reality, when we do find out how many calories are in something and they're like 1800 calories in this burger and fries, you're like, what? I would have estimated 500. And so you just have to be careful because there are a lot of calories snuck into meals when you eat out just for no reason too, like for absolutely no reason. (laughs) Absolutely. And I do think that this is something that you can also keep in mind that almost all the time, the portions will be larger than what you would select for yourself if you were being careful and and cognizant of your consumption for a particular meal. So if you're going to go out and have, you know, even a grilled protein, simple and vegetables, you know, practice measuring or eyeballing at home so that you get a good idea. And and if in doubt, I always say leave, you know, take it home in a doggy bag kind of thing. You know, just look at it and be aware that if you cannot control exactly everything that goes into it, you always control the amount that you take in of that. And, you know, just to go back to the talking about ordering foods out and and if everybody else at the table is ordering dessert, don't feel that you have to order dessert. Same thing with alcohol. If everybody else is ordering alcohol and alcohol wasn't in your, you know, your spectrum for, for what you were planning to do, don't order alcohol, you know, order a beverage so you have something to sip on, you know, sparkling water or just ice water with a, a, a slice of fruit. So that you you shouldn't feel pressured, I guess that's my big thing, by other people's decisions. You really just, you know, if it is a value of yours, you're going to go ahead and, and just embrace it. And that's a big thing that's very different from people when they say, well, how, why, when I was 
really working towards this goal. You know, they are either in a, you know, maybe they're in a transformation competition. I have a lot of my clients do this. They have at work, they have different competitions and they're, you know, weight loss competitions or body fat competition, loss competitions, or your competitor. And you still want to be part of your social world. I, it always pains me when people say, absolutely, they've shut themselves out. Maybe you're going to be more selective. Maybe you won't go out as often, but you shouldn't shut down completely. And I think that you will be a happier person if you go ahead and do that. But if it causes you stress when you're out, that's self-imposed. And if you can remind yourself, what is the purpose of doing these social things? It is to be social. Yes. Like I say, I love going out and having somebody else cook me a meal, but I'm always going to want the meal that I want. And you know, a lot of it comes down to how you approach ordering it. And don't make a big fuss. Don't throw a hissy fit if it doesn't come the way you want, but you can turn it back and say, you know what, this is really not what I ordered. And and be prepared that, you know, it you happens have to, to wait for it. And it's frust- yeah, and it's frustrating because a lot of times, I hate to say it, that there is communication problem between your mouth and the, the, the wait staff and the kitchen, which can be frustrating. But that's the restaurant's job. Yeah. The biggest thing is that if this is like a little tip though, for pretty much anybody when they are like, we, I ordered, I ordered sushi on the phone the other day, or I ordered takeout. I should have just said that. (laughs) And I get it. And I should have checked what the, the takeout was before I left the place, but it was completely wrong. And so this goes for like, whether you are ordering something and if you do have special modifications like you don't want sauce on it which was that was the case of this is that we wanted just plain veggies and chicken steamed without sauce I get it and there's tons of sauce on it and the guy just must not have been paying attention so you just have to say okay could you repeat the order back to me because a lot of times either they're just not paying attention but if you just ensure that it's written down and you kind of are saying hey make sure that you know I'm just double checking it's like when I was in prep, I used to be like, if I ordered like a diet Coke on occasion, I'd be like, is this really diet? Like, and they'd be like, yes, it's really diet. Or, and I'm sure a lot of you guys do that when you go to Starbucks. If you guys like the sugar-free syrups and stuff, you're like, hmm, is this sugar-free? And then you get kind of like paranoid about it. Yeah. So anyway, let's move on from that topic. Do you have a question? Do you have one right off the top of your head? Yeah, I'll find one. Somebody said... Um, Nicole LeBlanc said, how important mental health is to success in overall life, not just the gym and fitness. And since we, this really can apply to anybody, so it doesn't have to be just about the gym and fitness, but I will say that a lot of people who use the gym or fitness or healthy habits tend to have a, it's a really healthy outcome lit for any sort of stress in your life and it can be a really positive thing. So it kind of can go hand in hand. Like I do want to say, first of all, if you're feeling like you are in a slump or you're just feeling down or anything like that, the first thing to do is try and kind of push your health to a top priority and just get active, even if it's just a walk outside or whatever the case is. Yeah. Well, I think that this, you know, I think mental health really is the basis of of everything before you can go on and even embrace sort of the physical health. I think the two of them are so intertwined. But obviously, if you're not feeling solid and steady with 
your emotional and physical and you know mental health status it's going to throw you into a little bit of a, a kilter and so if you you mentioned about you know using the gym as a, a as a therapy i look at it as an appropriate coping mechanism if you go to the gym after a really stressful day at work and getting a good sweat on building up some of those endorphins and there's a lot of study even more cropping up about sort of what goes on in your body to give you those feel good feelings and then you can walk away feeling better because of that, then that's a very healthy approach to go with it. But if you're walking out of there or you're finding that it becomes stressful of itself and that if it can also go wrong there. So sometimes people will misuse or abuse physical activity to help them escape. And, you know, a small escape is good. But unless you're maybe utilizing that time to help you process things or re-energizing yourself so you can go on and handle what it is, then you might need to look at what is sort of affecting your mental health otherwise. So, you know, your mental health can also affect on sort of your your perception of yourself. And then if you you start to abuse the gym and its self-perspective, your self-esteem or your body image is not improving no matter what you do in the gym kind of thing, then that would be a red flag for me that you might need to kind of process that and not necessarily by just going and working out. But, you know, we get a lot of input from the world and on what is right and what is wrong. And there's no right or wrong for any particular, you know, any one individual. You kind of have to self-explore and you have to be aware of when, you know, habits become destructive. Yeah. And the thing is, is that to be successful and to have kind of like that healthy mindset and just feel kind of like comfortable in your own skin or comfortable with your routine and what you're doing, it's not a one size fits all type deal. And I think that we get very influenced by what other people on social media are doing and saying. And when they're saying, this is what makes me happy and this is what you know, I have a great, I have a great body image right now and I feel so great. And it's what they're, what they're doing does not guarantee that that's going to work for you. And it's the same way that when we talk about macros and training, it's that it's so individual and there are so many different factors to it. So you shouldn't be afraid of experimenting to find what really does make you happy. If I know a lot of people have a hard time getting to the gym because they don't enjoy the work that they're doing. And so you have to kind of switch over from the mindset of, well, this is what I should be doing and apply it to all things in life because everybody has their own path. And so I really do think that having control over your mental health by doing the things that make you happy on the day to day, whether it's to do with fitness or to do with work or relationships or you know different hobbies that you like to do, It's about finding what's going to make you go to bed at night and wake up in the morning being like, okay, I did good things today and I'm happy about them and I feel good about them. And not every single day is going to be big and monumentous and amazing and wonderful. But if you think back on it and you say, okay, today this was this 
one little positive thing today, that should be enough to propel you to do maybe two positive things the next day. And so it's a constant kind of work in progress to have good mental health, whatever good means to you. Yes. And I think you made a really good point. It was sort of involved in, you know, sort of woven in there, but about, you know, sort of build on the one positive thing and build on that and take something that you can feel success about. And I think that can be applied to a lot. And when I, you know, people will talk about like, you know, mental health and physical health and all that, you know, and fitness, you know, remember that these things are, I look at them as always moving forward. You know, you can look back and see where you are, where you, you know, have been, you can never go back. Right. So it's like going down a one-way road and you always have to keep going because, you know, there's cars behind you and they're, they're pushing you forward and there's a clear path ahead and you just have to keep going. And so time is going to go ahead no matter what happens and how you look at that, where you are in the moment. And are you feeling okay about that? Or do you feel that sort of discord and, and, you know, feel the pressure of the car pushing you down the road a little too fast? Well, you know what, maybe it's okay that you tap your brakes so they know to slow down a little bit. But my point here is that always remember that when you are pushing forward, you're pushing forward. And so trying to find that balance of your mental health, that you want to always be in that moving forward realm. And it's the same thing when people talk about like their their fitness and they're getting stale or they're getting frustrated. Remember that time is still going to go. And if you can sit back and say, okay, well, where do I see myself at the next intersection? And what do I want to accomplish between where I am going down this one-way road and the next intersection? And, you know, maybe I'll have to make some choices about the direction I'm going to go from there, but how am I going to get down there? And, and, and how do I see myself arriving there? And I think most of us want to see ourselves arriving at our next place in a better place. So if you look at it that way, I guess I can say that it's all important, but you have to kind of take care of all those things along the way. Mm -hmm. Okay. Boy, we got very abstract on that one. (laughs) Yeah, that one, even when I was talking, I was like, I was like, ping-ponging off the walls. I didn't know which direction to go in. (laughs) I'm going to shift this up now because somebody asked about managing emotional eating. And I think that we've talked about things like when it's that time of the month, how to handle, you know, hunger or cravings. And we've talked about obviously when you're in competition prep, how to handle it. But I think emotional eating is something that we are faced with, you know, multiple times even in the course of a day. And I think that it's something for us to talk about. So I'm going to toss that to you. Any tips or thoughts on emotional eating? So the first thing that I think about emotional eating is that you have to differentiate hunger and emotions. Okay. We know that kind of basic aspect. When it comes to emotional eating, is this are we kind of going in like an overeating type of The question was just emotional eating. And I think that it can be talking about, you know, I think of emotional eating is also potentially under eating. Right. And so what I'm going to say is that it's okay to have emotions associated with eating, but we eat technically for literally just for survival. Like that is what the core of eating is, is because it's for survival. But in the world that we live in, it's not, that's not how we eat. That's not what, what big business has, <laughs> you know, has 
caused us to eat for. We eat for things because they taste good, because for pleasure, for social events. And we also eat to cope, to fill us up in different ways. And so I think that most people aren't concerned about emotional eating in the positive. They're mostly concerned about the emotional eating in the detrimental way that's causing them to steer in a different direction than their goals, whether their goals are to eat more, eat less, or maintain. So if you are finding yourself emotionally eating, attack the emotions first. And so that means you have to uncover what the emotions are. So if you are eating at night because you got in a huge fight with your significant other or a best friend or a coworker, then attack the problem at hand before reaching for the food. Sometimes it takes something as simple as journaling and getting those emotions. It's almost like a release of tension and stress. Whereas I think that a lot of people reach for food and oftentimes it's like snack food. And so it's it's kind of like you're a little bit wound up, so you're just going to eat and eat, and then you're like, whew, okay, I have that release. But the problem is, is that after you are to eat and eat and eat, that release usually doesn't happen. It almost makes it worse. And so we did do a whole podcast on the binge eating and the overeating. And so not necessarily emotional eating is binge eating, but a lot of times if you are emotionally eating, it doesn't coincide with your goals. And so that's kind of my initial thing is that you do need to attack the problem at hand versus try and like cover it up and soothe yourself with food. Yeah, I I agree. Well, I was thinking, you know, a good way to kind of think about it is that we have emotional triggers that will lead us to eat and we will have food that also trigger emotions. And it's a very interesting thing because I know there are, you know, everybody's got their list of comfort foods. Everybody has, you know, you can walk into, you know, maybe you walk into somebody's house and they're cooking something and it reminds you of something, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. And I think this, especially during the holiday time, when we have a lot of these foods that are associated with holidays, families, for the good or the bad. And one of the things that I have a lot of clients that struggle with some of the emotional eating, once we've identified that this is going on, that you actually take a look at the food, you know, and it's literally kind of doing a little emotional food inventory and, you know, kind of look in your cabinets and say, okay, well, you know, I have um, graham crackers and and I always joke about this with my husband and Elle's dad, because he loves graham crackers. And it is for him a comfort food. It is one of those things that he grew up with, you know, that was sort of an after meal thing that he and his, you know, mom would have. And it, it brings back a lot of these, you know, kind of warm, fuzzy feelings for him. And So that's not necessarily a bad thing because he can have one or two and be okay. But there might be other foods that become emotional outlets. And so if you can kind of, if you're struggling with this, because I want to give you guys maybe something a little useful that you can do, I suggest that you sit down and kind of make a list of the foods that are troublesome, trigger foods, emotional foods, and step back and try to take a, a very objective look at them so that when maybe you're in a little bit of emotional turmoil and you look at that food that's in your in your cabinet or you're thinking you're at the grocery store and you walk by the aisle with that particular food in it and you look at that and you begin to say, you know what, that is in my emotional 
food inventory that is a food that I may struggle with. And maybe I'm vulnerable right now, so I'm just not going to put it in my shopping cart. So that you can start to, to step back and look at it that way. And I do encourage people, if you do have foods that become emotional triggers or other way around, and you have a goal that that food cannot fit into in terms of because you can't control the quantity there, then you just kind of put it aside, you know, and say, I'm vulnerable right now. And that's not something I'm going to pick and have right now. And maybe look at the food a little bit more as if it is a fuel, because uh, sometimes that helps you. (laughs) Yeah. But you know, that's, that's the way of thinking. You're going to either look at food as it is fuel, or you can look at a particular food and say, this is just what I want because it's what I want. And that, you know, that is where we start to get at the emotions. I'm going to switch gears. I thought this was a good question. And uh, ZoC028 said, if you could change one thing about the competition world, bodybuilding, bikini, et cetera, what would it be? So real quick, I want you to just, um, without, without explaining it, I just want you to say what it is, and then I'm going to say mine, and then we'll go into it. Very quickly, I think that judging standards, I would change judging standards, make them more standardized. You stole mine. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say, you don't have to apologize. I guess I'm just <laughs> glad that, no, it's a good thing because it's true. And mostly, and for me, mostly in the bikini category, I just think that these girls are working so hard. I don't want to say like killing themselves, but they're working damn hard. And then they show up for show day and they get crushed. And so there's not really a concrete part of the judging for the bikini girls. And I think that makes the sport even harder because then it taps into that mental game. And I feel like, I feel like it destroys more girls than helps. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, not to be negative about it, but I do think that after working with so many people and if they don't do as well as they had hoped, I feel like their next move is very, I guess, swayed by what their results are. I always joke about the the sport. As passionate as I am about it, I think it's the stupidest sport ever. Because, well, basketball, you know, the team that gets the most, or even tennis, okay, that's even better because that's an individual sport. So the player that, you know, gets most points by getting that ball in the end zone and that the opponent misses it. Boom. That's in zone, in the zone. But in this sport, you know, it's, there's no real rhyme or reason to scoring, even though there are, you know, some federations have a little more detail, have a little bit more system to their scoring and other ones they don't. I do think that this sport is very unique in that way because the human body you know, we're all individual. And as much as we try to manipulate our bodies to look like what the, uh, and air quotes here, hypothetical ideal for a particular federation and a particular the division. The idea changes and that's the problem. Is that yeah. like, so it would be one thing if they had, if each federation, whether it's a natural or a non-drug tested federation had, and they even say this and they always say things like, oh, watch out for who wins the, you know, the Olympia and the Arnolds and that sets the tone for the year. Okay, I call bullshit on that. That's, because that's, I agree. Because, I totally. yeah, because first of all, when Courtney King won last year, her bikini look is nothing like the look that they were 
making new pros, nothing like the look of the pros that are up there right now. When Angelica won, again, nothing like the look that they're going for. And so it's not even like they have a single model that they're like, okay, when you go to build your body, you need to build your body like this. And that's because everybody has different body shapes and we're not all starting from the same starting point. It just, it bothers me a lot because when Angelica's up there and they're, and for those that don't know, she's the like Miss Bikini Olympia and Arnold. I believe she won the Arnold last year too. And she, when they have the cameras on her, she turns around into her back pose and she has fat on her glutes that moves. Okay. The girls that are winning the pro cards do not even have the slightest bit of fat on them. And so it just is difficult because there's no standard. And when, even when you get to the pros, if you follow any of this and you're looking at who's winning the pro shows, they are, they're not bikini competitors anymore. They're figure competitors doing bikini posing. Yeah, I would definitely change that. And, you know, I think, so as elements or as directors of some change, we try to encourage our clients to really not get ripped apart about that. Because if, if you did, then it would just take all the fun out of it. And honestly, most people who compete, they, they love the process and getting up on that stage, it is their, their victory dance, you could call it, or or crossing their victory line, but it can be totally trashed by the judging, you know, and somebody awarding somebody else a, a, a trophy for a point or two that is in that direction. But, you know, again, it, as much as we as coaches struggle with that, we know that our job as coaches is to guide our competitors through the process of, of understanding and accepting. And I do think if you open your mind to your own potential, it actually can embrace you to move on and be better, irregardless of what the judges are going to say. And I think that's really important. I say this all the time. You know, if you go out and run a marathon, your coworkers don't say, did you win? You know, they just want to know that you finished. But if you do a competition, they ask, did you place? And, and, not did you finish? My gosh, you probably trained harder and did more stuff than a lot of people who train for marathons. So, you know, be be honorable in yours. Let's talk about that though. I want to, for anybody, because this is a, this happens, okay? So you prep, 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 prep all your coworkers. You eat out of Tupperware. They, you know, your bag lady with <laughs> bringing like your gym bag, your work bag, your food bag, your water. Your gallon of water. <laughs> your, everything, everything that you could possibly need into work. And so people are obviously going to be like, what you doing over there? Why are you eating like that? What you doing? What you train for? And you tell and them. And watching and your then, body change too. Yeah, and then show day comes and you don't do as well as you had hoped for. You don't take a trophy home. And you're dreading Monday morning going back to work with your splotchy spray tan and pale face and probably a little exhausted body. And you have to face the coworkers or, you know, friends and family. It's probably not as hard for friends and family because they, you know, love you no matter what. But your coworkers, they will ask you, so what'd you place? And what do you say? And so what I tell people is, or they'll say like, how'd you do? I always say, just say, I did great. I felt, you know, and be honest about how you felt, but don't draw, you know, don't draw any negatives to it. And a lot of times people will say, I beat my last package. Yeah. 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 But like, but when you're explaining it, you say, you know, I, it was tough competition. It was my third show. I beat my, my, 
package from both my first and second season and that's what it's all about and you don't even need to say I didn't place or I didn't do as you know you could say I didn't do as well as you had hoped but I think that that this is an important thing to say because there is a a little like ping of disappointment I think that when you know because everybody most people go in and and want to win and want to be competitive. And even if that's not your number one goal, no one no one would be like, no, I don't want to win. And so there is that little like, oh, wow, I hope I do well. And so you show up to work on Monday morning and don't be embarrassed. Don't be disappointed. Be proud of what you accomplished. Because I think a lot of times once the result of the show comes by, and you almost forget about all those triumphs that you would have celebrated as triumphs if you had placed. And so I think that it gets you get a little bogged down by the end result and you forget about all that sacrifice and all those great things that happened during the process. Absolutely. And I, I think putting it into that real, you know, because probably all along the way, unless you were miserable during your prep, you probably had a very positive experience. And 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 then if you come in and start talking negative about it, you're going to be ruining all the great things that you did with your thought process versus turning it around saying, look, this is where even, even maybe have for yourself that little bit of a transformation from when you started prep to, you know, maybe some stage shots and say, look at this. This was my competition. This was the only person that mattered, which is really the truth. And, and, you know, say, yeah, you know, I, I, I didn't come on with a trophy, but look, I have a trophy. Look at my, look at what I did. Look at this body. Look at this body and look at, and look at the, you know, the fact of what you did and you challenged yourself to complete something, which is huge. That's huge. So don't forget about that. Even if there is that disappointment of maybe not having that piece of plastic that you came home with, that's right. You know, X place. (laughs) What's next on your list? Okay. Whoopsie. Hold on. Oopsie. My my, my list froze. froze All right. Well, I'll let her find what she wants to talk about next. And I'll just sneak in here and tell you guys that we love the feedback and that we love when you screenshot and share that you're listening to the podcast on social media. Makes my day. I screenshot all the tags that I get from you guys on social media, on Instagram. And I'm at E-L-L-E underscore the letter B fit body, L underscore B fit body. I think that's what my handle is. And Jules is, um, hers is at coach Jules underscore TBFB. That is it. Yeah. And, and you guys, and you guys are, <laughs> I just came up with this and I'm really proud. I'm trying very hard not to call you all guys because I'm trying to just be sensitive to calling gendering the listeners. So I'm going to call you guys our BFFs and you are now our best fit friends. So when I when I say hi BFFs, it's because y'all are in our little group. So cheers to that. And if you want to hashtag BFFs, you know, and tag me and stuff, that would be great. I love that. That would be <laughs> wonderful. I know. Yeah. We love to hear from you all and uh, guys and gals about what you like to listen to. Things, things that maybe you don't want to listen to. I wanted, I, I, I'm just going to read this question and it's only going to be part of it because the first part I think we've talked about. The question is the difference in mindset for being on prep versus not being on prep, difference in goals, workouts, diet, and how actually, you balance each. 
Did we do this one? We actually did cover that one because she was our winner. Gosh, <laughs> yeah, I, don't I remember. remember. Talking about that yeah, she was train. our she was our winner. Boy, I must have Alzheimer's here because I'm no, not remembering. You don't. No, honestly, well, the the problem is is that we have we've talked about all these topics so many other times to different people. And so when we come into the podcast, we're like, what, what, when did we talk about that? And that's the problem. We just, we, we don't remember what we've talked about. I probably have two more. So if you don't, I will pull up my two. Um, someone did say, I'd love to listen to a podcast all about the bikini look. So maybe we'll do that as a whole podcast. I think that would be a good one. So the next one... Let's talk about something a little bit more light because somebody said. Well, somebody asked to hear about our education background. Did we talk about that? No. Bodies by Bella asked, I would love to hear about your education background, including college certifications, et cetera. All righty. I'll dive into mine. Um, I'm still in school right now. I'm still in school right now for uh, psychology with a concentration in mental health services. So that's my focus because I care so much about the brain and mind. And I feel like it all starts in the brain. And so every step along your fitness journey and everything else stems from the brain, like we've, we talked about even earlier with the, the mental health. And so that will be my degree once I finish, and hopefully, eventually, I'll have a master's in some sort of version of that. So always um, forever learning. I know I'm a youngin, and I just I feel like I have so much to learn, and I really just never want to stop. So that's where I'm at right now. Um, and Jules has thirty plus years in the how many years? <laughs> thirty. Oh, it's going on thirty-seven years, I think now. Yeah. So my undergraduate degree is in nutritional sciences. Actually, the science of nutrition. It's called food and nutritional sciences. Uh, and my undergraduate from the University of Connecticut actually was in the College of Agriculture because there was a lot of study of a lot of research-based things. I had sort of an emphasis in food service management during college. I worked in. Um, um, I actually was a, lived in a student-run dormitory, and I was what they call the f- steward of the dorm, and I ran the food service. So it was a business. You know, we had a budget, and I ran it for the year. So because at that time, I was interested in all aspects of food and nutrition, but I didn't know what my you know, what could I do that I could actually get a job that I could get paid for right out of college? And I did not have an interest at the time to be a dietitian. So I went and I worked in food service for a while and then decided that I actually did have more of an interest in health and health education. So I went back for my master's degree in clinical dietetics. So it's food, nutrition, and clinical dietetics. So I have all of the the health aspects and I did a lot of health education. I worked in hospitals and then I also had a group exercise certification with AFA way back when they actually were only two or three years old when they started their certification. So I'm sort of one of their their original (laughs) group exercise instructors and I taught exercise classes, group exercise during my graduate school to give me a free gym membership. And then after I worked in a hospital for a while, and then I was recruited by a physician to work in private practice in New York City. You know, I always just say it was sort of my cushy job because I was the dietitian for the rich and famous. And it was quite an experience. I probably would violate HIPAA laws to talk about any 
of my clients, but yeah, definitely. <laughs> I got to work with some celebrities and, and lots of everyday people in nutrition counseling and all aspects. And then I was recruited by a health promotion company and went and ran an employee health and fitness program, American Express's headquarters. And I had the privilege of being involved in the setup crew. So we designed the facility and then we actually fitness tested the 4,000, 4,000, yes, fitness center members. And ultimately I was a, a manager there and I was involved in health promotion, education, group exercise and facility management. So you know, I have a very diversified background. I did that for many years at that facility and then another place in Connecticut until my children were born. So I took a little hiatus of working for a few years to raise the kids. And then after they were in school, I went back and went back to being a personal trainer. So I've had my personal training certificate through a couple of different ACE, ISSA, AFA, and there's one more I can't even remember because I would try them all out. Um, so, you know, continuing to educate myself and taking the different exams and studying because they all have different focuses. So often people will ask me what's the best personal training certification. And I just direct back to them and ask them where do they see themselves working and then find out what is the certification that that facility wants them to have because that's why i had different certifications because different places that i worked wanted different personal training certifications so i just kept doing them because that's what they needed for me to do so but they all have different twists so i'm going to throw that out to you so you know never never stop pursuing interest in education and if you have one interest in that field, just look and see what's available for education-wise. It's all about what your employer expects of you and then also what you're interested in learning. So there's a lot of different certifications out there. There's different schools and different even majors if you're going to school for it. I have my group exercise from AFA that I got in college and uh, because I loved group X and that was actually one of the first things that I got started with in college when I was at University of New Hampshire. And that was because I grew up a dancer and I didn't really know how to solo train. So I was doing group X as my start. And I feel like a lot of women start there. And then when Jules and I started our business, the way that we started was Jules has all of this education and background in nutrition and in training. And I have the background of what I learn in school. And so when we came together, I was actually, I was a communication student and a psychology student and back and forth. And I didn't know what I wanted. I think I switched back and forth between nutrition, psychology, and communications like three times before I was like, okay, finally psych is where, my, where I'm meant to be. And so when we came together, we worked out that Jules writes the programming and you know I work with I work with her and work with the, the girls on the mental aspect of it and so it's a, it's cool to figure out what your employer wants from you and expects from you and then you know I'm weeks away from taking my NASM so I can step in and do the personal training as well it's always a work in progress and as long as you are studying and learning and reading and, you know, reading research. You don't necessarily have to do the research on your own, but if you're keeping yourself up to date with new information, then you're likely going to know better than somebody else who just has a bunch of certifications and doesn't read That's and doesn't, right. you know, That's keep right. itself up to date. And so obviously the certifications are, you know, a predictor of 
achieving something, you have to see who you you trust and agree with when you are going to kind of work with them. And, and absolutely. And I do know that I have worked with so many trainers with certifications that they can pass a test, but they don't know how to apply it. And, and so it becomes, you need to become a student of learning how to apply what you're doing more than just what that little signature on that, you know, certification means, because, you know, many people can pass a test, but not many people can apply the the skills and the education that they have. So that's really important. So if you're going to go ahead and, you know, I know this is a huge question I get asked all the time, you know, how, how do I get started to be a personal trainer? Or how do I get started to be a coach? You know, you do need to have uh, some criteria or work with somebody who has the credentials to be making sure that, you know, the programming and things are all right. There's a lot of people out there who really do not know what they're doing. And I think that hurts the industry more than it helps the industry. So just because you did a competition does not mean that you should be able to hang a shingle up and say, I'm a competition prep coach. So, you know, not to say that everybody needs to be a prep coach with credentials. But I do think you, you as a consumer, if you're looking for a coach, it's important that you find somebody that if that's a value to you. So anyway, that kind of covers all that education stuff. Let's move on to probably the last thing. Do you have one more that's like you definitely want to talk about right now or? No, no, I'm going to let you okay. pick that last one. There were two and it's actually the same girl asked both of these questions. And I just think that it's a it's a appropriate topic just in general to kind of talk about. And Lindsay T. Kasich said, with everything going on with harassment of women in different industries, how do you think this will affect the bodybuilding industry? Is there behind the scenes stuff in competitions that women feel uncomfortable with? The first thing that I would say is that I feel like more what affects women the most that are in the bodybuilding or fitness kind of community and industry happens online. And so it's harassment online. And I feel like when obviously anything can happen really anywhere, and that's what we're seeing in the news and in the media, and then maybe even like something that's closer to (laughs) closer to home than just on the internet. But there is when you are putting your body out there, I feel like the amount of attention it gets both positive and negative can increase. Absolutely. I think I do think that if you are going to put yourself out in public that you have to be prepared for somebody saying something. And not to say that that's right, absolutely not right, but it can also affect you greatly in terms of how do you feel about that? And so my feeling is if you think that you are not going to have a thick skin, if somebody says something to you about it, then maybe you shouldn't be posting things out there. Don't share as much information. Maybe if you think that, yeah, you know what? Because we cannot control the trolls. We cannot control people saying insensitive things. So many times, like I even go, and actually it's funny you even say this because 
I was thinking this the other day, I was reading, you know, Facebook, and it was just kind of going and there were so many people that I was reading just haphazardly through my new my my newsfeed, with a lot of this sort of passive aggressive comments about something they had seen, something they had experienced. And I'm sort of like, why are you taking this passive aggressive stuff and putting it out there on the universe? And I think that people do that. It's kind of like they just want to throw this big bucket of, of passive aggressive slop out there. And that, you know, who cares who it falls on? But you know what, when I go and I open up my newsfeed, I really don't want to be thrown <laughs> passive aggressive on me. But it happens. And then I walk away and it makes me cringe. And so what's an example of that that you've read? Just Oh, gosh, I don't even know if I should say it because I just sort of feel yeah, like it, it almost continues the passive aggressive stuff. Like a lot of times, you know, like especially after a competition, sometimes I'll see some coaches posting things because they aren't not necessarily happy with what the judge, yeah, with what the, and so they start to bash or, or they'll start to critique or they will start to trump themselves up a little bit more with that underlying negativity. And I'm like, really, let's grow up. Mm. Yeah. So, but kind of shifting back to the discussion of the industry and if there's any behind the scenes stuff that women feel uncomfortable with, I would say that the majority of the community, especially at shows, is positive. And so you can always get, you know, one inappropriate person or even a bystander because I've seen, and it's unfortunate, but I've seen. Being at shows, maybe you're at a theater or you're in a city and then you're outside taking photos. Do not be surprised if there are solo men or even Mm. women or groups of men and women walking around and taking Mm -hmm. photos of you. Mm -hmm. And truthfully, the people that are going to pay money, go inside and watch a bodybuilding show are usually the people that appreciate the art form of it and they appreciate what goes on during the whole process and it's not a sexual thing but you have to remember if you are a bikini competitor or figure or you know even even men have this because it's not only women that are harassed it's it's men too but if you are a bikini competitor and you are outside in your heels and your bikini and there are other people walking by you they I guess technically they have a right to take a photo of you as inappropriate as that is it doesn't mean that they won't do it. So be prepared for that because it does feel a little bit like a violation, even though you're like, how could they do that? It's like, but if you are in a bikini out there, then it could happen because I've seen it. (laughs) It does happen. And you also, you know, if you are going to put yourself out there, realize you may be part of the landscape. You know, somebody could always say, oh, I was taking a picture of that building and you just have to be in it. Bullshit. Yeah, right. But you know, (laughs) you are there. And, you Mm -hmm. know, if you weren't in your bikini, you probably wouldn't care. But it is, it's creepy. I had a dude take a video of me doing like face pull at a Planet Fitness in a small town in Connecticut on vacation, literally holding up. I feel like I've said this on here before, but literally holding up his phone recording me and he's sitting on like the lap pull down which is right next to it with his phone in my face and I looked right at him and I was like excuse me like what are you doing and I and yeah and he denied it it's like no yeah he denied it I'm like he's I think he either said I was looking at the weather I'm like okay well look at the weather with your phone facing the other freaking way yeah and I guess in that situation you can tell management and they can ask the person to leave or or tell the person you know like I'm gonna revoke your membership but if you're out in the streets 
what are you going to, you can't tell on them, like the principal, like, what are you going to do? So you do just have to be prepared because this is a sport where you are doing something kind of wild to your body and it's, it draws attention and in no case is it appropriate to be harassed in any way. So again, know, know your boundaries and know when to tell someone that something's inappropriate if there is a situation at a show, whether you're tanning and you don't feel comfortable with maybe males and females are tanning together and you feel uncomfortable with that. You have every right to say this is inappropriate and can I please be spray tanned in a tent like in the other way. Although, like I said, for the majority of it, especially the competitors, you don't put in all of this work to be there just so you can stare at the other people that are naked tanning. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like to go through that process for that is kind of wild. But again, you do have every right to tell the spray tan person that you feel uncomfortable. And don't just be like, oh, this is how it is. I just want to put that out there. Totally, totally. And I do think that that's something that competitors have the right to even ask ahead of time. And absolutely, especially. Yeah. And some people don't care. But again, it's like, I joke that when you are a competitor, you get pretty used to that kind of stuff that like your body is not always just a sexual thing. It's a it's just a body. But again, not everybody feels that well, way. Well, we look at it as a work of art. So <laughs> Exactly. But not every but again, not everybody like for for us, we're like, oh, we'll change anywhere. Like we'll do, you know, whatever. I feel like if you're listening to this and you're a competitor, you're like shaking your head like, yeah, wow, I feel much more comfortable in my physique than I ever have once I started this journey. So is there anything else that you want to talk about? Because I do have one more. We've been going for quite a while, yeah. but no, just go ahead. There there So it was the same gal, Lindsay T. Kasich, and she said the shift of women changing from super fit, freaky, veiny aliens to curve loving body positive. And I feel like it's kind of a positive note to end on this because we just had a, sorry, I've been stealing the show. I've been talking, no, talking, talking. We had a show this weekend and we had a lot of team members that were off season come and watch. And I've seen a lot of other off season gals go and watch shows and take photos with friends after the show. And I always have conversations with women about going to shows. And a lot of times they say, I'm really proud of myself for coming to the show, although I'm in an off season, or maybe they've decided not to compete at all for a while. And they say, you know what? I actually felt pretty good. I felt okay. And I just want to touch on that because we have to remember if we are a competitor that that body that they have on show day. So we stand next to them and we're like, oh my God, they're so tiny and so lean. That is such a short lived physique. And so the tan is going to fade. The the body that, you know, the freaky veins are going to go away. And that is something that you have to look at as a, pro- as a process. And it's part of the process to get that lean and tiny, but that's not for everyday life. And yeah, it's one thing to say that and and say, yeah, you know, it's just a one day thing, but you have to actually believe it. Yes. And I do think that there should, just as the excitement is as you dial in towards a show, there should be the excitement as you pull back because I look at it as potential in the making. And if you are starting to miss that competition body. Yes, it's okay because it's so cool and it's like a science experiment and, you know, the daily changes that go. And then as we resume and back out and go a little bit more to, you know, being able to, you know, work out 
really hard in the gym for a lot of people too, men and women, libido comes back, you know? So, you know, all of those things that your body is meant to do, it is meant to do as you're moving out of that leanness. And you shouldn't expect that you're going to stay in that the whole time. That's what competitors, it is a sport, but you should not walk around looking like that all the time. So that's my two cents on that. Yeah, definitely. And I think that it's just to find that it takes a while. And so, and I've said this probably over the past, what are we into June now? So I haven't competed in like seven months. And I know for sure that I'm sitting 2018 out. And for me, this is the best that I've ever felt in my physique because I've literally finally accepted that that is not the way to live life. Super lean and shredded because you don't really get to enjoy life the way that you should if you are going to maintain that leanness. And so I like to think about the quality of life, the strength, and all the other things that come along with being at a higher and a healthier body fat percentage. A lot of people forget that even if they dial out from their show physique, they still look amazing. You still look lean and athletic and not to compare yourself to the people that are on some sort of PED on the internet, or maybe they're just someone that only posts their competition prep photos with inspirational quote unquote captions the whole year. And they only start posting current photos of themselves when they jump back into prep. And so it's not realistic treat your body nicely and accept it at all stages. And then if there's a problem some one way or another, don't resort to cutting food and doing extra cardio to try to get back to that physique, fix that root kind of issue and mentality before you try and manipulate the body again. Yeah. I'm going to give one last tip. If you are competing or, or planning to compete, when you get very close to your show physique, don't go clothes shopping. <laughs> it, it because then you're going to always like I do have like my the jeans that I can only wear two weeks before and two weeks after my competition but I only have two pair of those and that's it and I, I have used those for years and years and years and too bad they're they're belt you know they're uh bell bottoms, but, but I'll still wear them. But because I think that can also mess up your psyche. You know, you're trying to fit into something that is not a normal for you. I tell competitors somewhere between four and eight weeks, if you really want to work on, you know, four weeks before, four weeks after your show is kind of a beautiful place for a lot of people. But it it really, and not everybody, but, you know, usually you have great energy, your food intake is up, you're not doing wild amount of cardio and all that. So if you're looking at that, that fit thing somewhere between that healthy yeah, and for yeah. the average person. So instead of trying to achieve and maintain this show ready body all the time, that's just going to cause you too much anxiety and stress. So healthy mental status. That's what we're going for. <laughs> healthy, happy, and just feeling good. So we are just going to wrap it up and say thank you guys for listening to this episode and we'll catch you in the next one. Bye everyone. Bye.